0: It was like being at the theater. It's beautiful. Um, so lovely, isn't it, to listen to the Bible being read with care and precision. Um, God's Word speaks to us. Uh, I love actually reading longer extracts of Scripture. We don't often do it in church, but in this afternoon service, we quite often do, because we've sort of adopted a bit of a pattern of working our way through some books of the Bible and trying to hear the whole of a chapter read at a time, and that's what we're doing with uh, the letter of James in the New Testament uh, over, we had an introduction a couple of weeks ago from Andrew, and then tonight, and then the next four Sundays where we gather for a talk, which isn't every Sunday, because sometimes we have extended prayer and worship, or fun at four, and, but between now and at the end of July, we're going to work our way through the whole of the letter of James, so there will be um, the whole of chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, read in your hearing, if you're here, but perhaps not as beautifully as Sarah just read that now. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that at Pentecost we receive the gift of the Spirit who writes your law in our hearts. And we pray that your word would be written on our hearts this night, that we might hear, that we might obey, that we might see Jesus, that we might follow. Amen. Wizzywig. Wizzywig? Wizzywig? wig Does anybody know what wig means? That's the title of my sermon tonight by the way, Wizzywig. Strange title. I've mainly chosen that title because it will be really awkward for Sarah when she has to sit and prepare the podcast or the YouTube thing because she's like what on earth are you saying, Graham? Wizzywig. Uh it's actually called wig or Pursuing Integrity. WYSIWYG is a term used in computer editing and software editing and text-based editing, and it's, a, it's an acronym or an acrostic. It's really an acrostic. It stands for what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so now you know. WYSIWYG. I wonder how long you spend each day looking at yourself in the mirror Um, if you tried to do a little bit of a calculation now a mental calculation brushing your teeth hair makeup there's a whole there's a little routine of things that I know that goes on for some people um, around kind of eye makeup remover and things like that which doesn't I don't do shaving perhaps um General facial hair care. (laughs) Who knows? Five minutes, ten minutes? How much does it build up to when you add in those moments where you catch your reflection in the shop window as you walk down the road? (laughs) Yeah? Hygiene, general hygiene. Thanks, Will. Yep. We spend some time, most of us, looking in the mirror. Each day, And one of the most striking images in this chapter is verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, we normally look into the mirror and pay some attention to how we appear. Check whether we you a shave or whatever it might be. Then we catch our reflection on shop windows or indeed use the selfie camera uh, to just sort of check through the day whether hair has fallen out of place or makeup has smudged or whether we're a bit flushed or whatever. Because we care about how we look. Most of us, most of us to some extent care about how we look and we want to make sure that there's a match between how we think we look and how we actually look. We, We all have an idea of how we think we look you know, um, Hugh Jackman, Um, (laughs) and how we actually look, (laughs) Graham Hunter, Um, and we want to know that it matches up, and so we catch a glimpse of ourselves, And, and it's an image that helps us think a little bit about integrity, knowing that what we claim about our lives and about our faith is borne out by what we actually do. How we think we are in the world is how we actually are in the world. And that's a response that some of us might have to resist the possible charge of hypocrisy. Because we don't like the idea that we might be called hypocrites. Certainly when I first became a Christian, that was one of the great levies. You know, you mustn't be hypocritical. Make sure that what you say you believe about Jesus and about being a Christian matches up with how you actually live. I appreciate that, actually. I appreciate that. I think that's right. James here draws perhaps on something that is contemporarily quite popular again. It's called the Aristotelian virtue ethic. You see, the philosopher Aristotle said that um, the essence of who you are is defined by what you do. If you want to be a kind person, you'll have to do kind things. If you want to be a generous person, you'll have to be generous. Doing generous acts... Being charitable, being kind, being honourable, being trustworthy, doing all these trustworthy things makes who you are. You could say that for Aristotle, who you are is an accumulation of what you habitually do. And I think that there's something similar here in James. And in this first chapter of James, around pursuing integrity and WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. I'm thinking principally tonight about the second half of the chapter, from verse 19 onwards. Andrew, a couple of weeks ago, set a little bit of context for us and described the community to whom James is writing. Um, And in each of the next few weeks, as we go through these chapters in the letter of James, we won't necessarily work our way verse by verse through the whole of each chapter, but we'll look at some particular theme. And uh, I just briefly want to highlight for us tonight um, these themes that I think uh, James brings out for us about pursuing integrity in character, pursuing integrity in faith, and pursuing integrity in action. So first of all, integrity in character. Have a look at verses 19, 20, and 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you. As I read that I found myself thinking a bit about a flower bed or a pot of soil just waiting for some seeds to be planted. We've recently planted some wildflower seeds uh, in a patch of ground in our garden in the hope that we'll bring forth some lovely grasses and wildflowers and pollinators for the bees and all those things. And we recently went to Columbia Road Flower Market and bought some pots. I watered our plants this afternoon and I was having a feel of the soil to check its condition. Our character is sort of the soil of our lives. It's the condition of the soil that receives what God has to give us, his word planted in us. And he says we need to ensure that the soil is not contaminated by anger or evil. Be good soil. Jesus, telling the parable of the sower, talks about a man who goes out and sows seed. Some falls on the path and there's nowhere for it to Uh, germinate and take root some falls on rocky soil and perhaps it germinates and takes root but um, it withers in the sun some falls on the soil and it begins to take root but then uh, thistles and nettles and things drown it out weeds get in the way and some falls on good soil and it produces a crop a hundredfold and beyond It's an image that suggests, when Jesus interprets it to his disciples, that where the word of God falls, the conditions with which it's met will have an effect and an impact as to whether that's going to grow and develop. And always whenever I read that parable, I think to myself, my prayer is, Lord, make the soil of my heart good soil. Make it good soil which will receive your word and in which it will take root. Because I don't take for granted that my heart is always good soil because, of course, the sort of anger, evil, moral filth, in fact, that James describes can so easily become the condition of any of our soil. So James here is saying, pursue integrity in your character so that when the word is planted, it will take root and bear fruit. How then do we make sure that soil is not contaminated by anger or evil? Because that's what he says. He says, rid, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's prevalent. Well, the answer, I think, is in the first half. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen. Listen to God. Listen to one another. Our society is, I suppose, dominated by people who want to speak before they listen. But James would have it the other way around. He'd say, listen first. As the old adage goes, you've got two ears, one mouth, so do twice as much listening or half as much speaking. Listening to God in scripture reading, in prayer, in meditation, but listening to one another in one-to-ones, in conversation, in attentiveness, in patience and generosity with your time. And Dallas Willard uh, great sort of spiritual writer, it's quote often attributed to him, although I think it may be told in other forms by other people, says that to be listened to is barely distinguishable from being loved. Many of us know that the people who listen most attentively to us and take time for us are demonstrating love for us. Always amazes me that God is so patient in listening to my prayers. It's a sign of his love. So to have integrity in character, we need good soil in our hearts. And that good soil can be formed by listening to God and listening to one another. By being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. And then God's word can take root and bear fruit in us. So integrity in character. Secondly, integrity in faith. Verses 22 onwards. Anyone who listens to the word... But does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You remember, that Jesus told a parable at the end of the Sermon on Mount about um, two builders. One who built their house hurriedly, quickly, on the sand, got it up, got in through a party, maybe, but then when the storms of life came, there were no foundations and the house um, was washed away by the floods. Another man, took time and uh, labored hard over building their house upon a rock and had to dig foundations, slower work, harder work, more tiring work, perhaps. But when the house was built and the storms of life came, it stood firm. And Jesus says, to interpret this parable, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into action is like the wise builder. And it takes time to patiently build deep, good foundations. And James says that we can do that by looking into the law rather than looking in the mirror. Looking in the mirror is a sort of obsession with self and our own appearance, but looking into God's word is looking into the perfect law. That's what he says, whoever looks into, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it, not just for, not not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So integrity in faith built through many years of prayer, Bible study, patiently building, and looking intently into God's law, into God's word, rather than glancing just at our own appearance in the mirror. Finally, integrity in action. Integrity in our character, integrity in our faith, integrity in our action also, what we do. If Aristotle is right, then who we are is an accumulation of what we do. Integrity in our attitude and our action. Verse 26 onwards, those who consider themselves religious but don't take a, keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James will talk again in subsequent chapters about the power of the tongue to build up or to destroy. He says that we have to check our tongue, tame our tongue. He says it's like a small spark that can start a forest fire. It's like the rudder of a ship that can turn a great vessel. He says that those who teach will be judged more sternly. We must check what we say. Words have creative and destructive potential. Throughout the Old Testament, we see a record of God speaking things into being. The Lord said, let there be light, and it was. The words of God are powerfully creative and can be terribly destructive. Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. These great mighty trees that people wanted to make temples and boats and ships and vessels from because the wood was so strong. The voice of the Lord can shatter the cedars of Lebanon. And so too with us, what we say can be incredibly creative or brutally destructive. And James says that we have to keep an eye on our tongue. Because if we have taken upon ourselves the name of Christ, we say we are a Christian and we seek to reflect his image in the world, but then we use our words in a way that is destructive and runs people down or does damage to people. He says, well, you're undermining the claims, you're, you're undermining that's the, that's the charge of hypocrisy that can then come. And we are to be WYSIWYG people. What you see is what you get, people. And care for the vulnerable. It's sometimes called God's preferential option for the poor. What does God our Father accept as a, as a way of life in us? Religion, religio, simply meaning the way well, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Might not just be literal orphans and widows in our day, but orphans and widows were the most vulnerable people in the society of uh, Jesus' day, where they didn't necessarily have the protection of um, husband, father, family, household, and would need to come under the protection of others. And throughout the scriptures, God is seen as the defender and protector of orphans and widows, the one who cares for the vulnerable. Who is vulnerable today in our midst? Those outcast by society through mental illness, through ageism, the elderly who are isolated and lonely, the, those who do not contribute to the economy, being out of work, asylum seekers, refugees, those struggling with their addictions. So many different categories of people who are vulnerable and need to come under the protection of God through us. That's what James says we should be doing. That's how we will have integrity in action, caring for the vulnerable. So three things, integrity in character, integrity in faith, integrity in action, and this will make us into WYSIWYG people. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the true representation of God the Father. What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. And Jesus himself tells the disciples in John's Gospel, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There's absolute integrity in the representation of God in Christ. Jesus is not a a lesser being, a sort of semi-divine or distant relation of God the Father. He's the eternally begotten Son of the Father, but he's also the exact representation of God in the world. And the New Testament points to a process by which we are becoming, once again, image bearers who show Jesus to the world. So just as Jesus shows us the Father, just as Jesus reveals the nature, the character of God in the world for us, so too we are being conformed to his image, so that we become more and more like Jesus, so that we can represent Jesus, and therefore also God in the world. Paul writes to the Corinthians... We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And I leave you with two images that you might want to think about and reflect about uh, as you imagine what it's like to be transformed into the image of Christ. Michelangelo's sculpture of David, one of the masterpieces of the world uh, and, and of classical art, began as a lump of marble marble crude and rough-edged, weathered, hewn away with no form that would give us any pleasure or delight. And yet somehow in the genius of Michelangelo, he could stand with hammer and chisel and chisel away until this beautiful, beautiful image of David was revealed. God is patiently chiseling away at the hewn rock of our lives to reveal something beautiful in the world, to reveal the image of Christ in each of us. He will chip away some of those rough edges that disfigure and mar and instead reveal the beauty of Christ in us. It's one image. And then the other image, the broken masterpiece being painstakingly repaired. Again, Michelangelo's Pieta um, statue of Mary with Jesus in 1974 was brutally destroyed and split and broken into hundreds of pieces by uh, a man named uh, Laszlo Toth in the Vatican in Rome. And uh, fragments were scattered across the Vatican floor. Some were picked up and stolen and taken away as souvenirs. Others were gathered together. And over the course of about eight years, it was painstakingly put together piece by piece. Some of those pieces recovered, added into it. We bear the image of Christ. It's been fractured and distorted by sin, but God is painstakingly putting us back together to reveal the masterpiece that He has given us integrity in character, integrity in faith, integrity in action is all part of this process of restoring God's masterpiece, God's beauty in us so that we can represent Christ. Christ can reveal God in the world. And what you see is what you get. Amen.